My name is Majay. I go to North Edgecombe. North Edgecombe High School is a small school in rural eastern North Carolina. Originally settled around cotton plantations worked by enslaved laborers, the region has a history of black self-determination and leadership. The county elected four black representatives to Congress before 1899, when the state again stripped African-Americans of their right to vote. Now it's the sort of place that rarely makes the news. The most recent news it made was reporting on the 2020 census. Edgecombe County's population had dropped 14%. Residents were leaving in search of other jobs. At North Edgecombe, 76% of the students are black, 99% qualify for free and reduced price lunch. And historically, like so many high schools around the country, its purpose may have been to educate, but its draw for students? Well, often it was anything but the book learning. Take it from my J. I really wasn't into academics like that. I was just like um, sports. Um, the only reason I had good grades so that I could play sports. That trade-off between what you love and what you endure to get a chance to do what you love. And meanwhile, the days pass by with teachers giving you instructions. Kind of like all the adults in a Charlie Brown cartoon. Okay. Oh, good grief. Yes, ma'am? Yes, ma'am. We were playing hangman. Don't get me wrong. I'm not blaming the teachers. We've been investigating the problems and promise of high school for almost two years now. It's the way high school is designed. But for a lot of kids at traditional high schools, school means one thing. Adults telling them what to do and how to do it, day in and day out, all day long. This is Carol with our seventh and final episode of our third season all about high school. Over this season, we've looked at a bunch of different schools that are attempting to improve, transform, adopt best practices, look at themselves in the mirror and say, can we do better? I think we can. We've explored the problems of the modern American high school, this mass institution populated with a lot of great teachers and promising students that nevertheless delivers epic levels of boredom for students, heartbreaking frustration for the educators, and so, so much inequity by race, by income, by disability. And though most educators kind of agree that high school isn't what it needs to be, to engage all students, to be truly equitable, to raise a generation that can take on this complex world they will inherit. Institutional change is not easy. We've seen how for a high school to tackle anything new, a new approach to discipline like we saw at Salem Academy in Massachusetts, or creating an exceptional technical pathways program like we saw at Grayson High School in Georgia, it's a big deal. It takes a lot to change a school even in small ways. But today we're taking you on a road trip somewhere you might not think of as a national center of innovation. To the tiny town of Leggett, North Carolina, population 60, where an ordinary high school perched between a dollar store and a gas station is doing something extraordinary, changing all the hard things at once. My name is 
Donnell Cannon, and I am the principal of North Edgecombe High School. When he arrived, Donnell noted that the school needed to make academic strides. The test scores weren't great, but that wasn't his primary concern. School wasn't fun. Like first, like the joy factor just wasn't present. How did they know the joy factor wasn't there? It wasn't only palpable in the halls and on the faces of the kids. It was quantifiable in the attendance rates. The kids weren't showing up to school, right? We were like spending a significant amount of our time like going to homes and convincing parents that school's where they should be. We weren't giving them a reason to be here. Absenteeism was like through, like sky high. Um, our babies didn't talk about significant parts of the school. When I ask kids in the in the cafeteria, like, what's the best part of your day? And the kids like, lunch. Like many principals who reckon with disappointing numbers, Donnell decided to do something. Unlike any principal I've ever heard of, instead of looking for solutions from other adults or reading a book, he looked to the kids. He started spending his days trying to see the school through their eyes, sitting in their classes, riding the bus. So I started doing a lot of like shadowing, like student shadowing, because I wanted to um, learn more about like how they were experiencing school. I remember being on the bus with kids, and it's like I'm on the I'm on the bus with children, just like you know, connect, trying to connect, and I'm asking them questions. What do you what do you appreciate about our school? What do you love the most? What excites you? Um, the kids couldn't really respond to that. We've all seen that look when you ask teens what they're interested in, like a possum caught in a trash can. What? Why are you shining a light on me? It's common. But for a principal who genuinely wanted to create a space where his students thrived, it was a wake-up call. We, we knew that if we were going to move towards something like bold and big, our culture had to be ripe. We wanted to really set the conditions for, for innovation first. A less humble principal might have focused on all the quote-unquote bad things that were happening to his students that made them so negative about school. I've heard a lot of this from principals. The acknowledgement of the Herculean issues that a lot of teens from low-income backgrounds deal with. Unfortunately, that acknowledgement can easily slip into an excuse for the school's limitations. That's why kids hate school. That's why they can't read. Instead, Donnell paused and thought about what the students actually experienced when they stepped foot inside his building. So we wanted folks to know in the first nine seconds you walk in our building, like what we're up to and like how we, like what we believed about children. They painted larger than life, beautiful silhouettes of diverse teenagers on the walls. They posted positive mottos, including core values that begin with love first. Projecting a positive, humane approach, I mean, just daring to use the word love. All this formed the foundation for bigger changes. So we did all those things first before we could even make a jump towards, you know, like these like transformational experiences. And then we decided, like, you know what? Let's go all the way. Like, let's, like, be as innovative as we can. Let's think, like, uh, outside of the box, as wild as we can to get to, um, you know, something bold and beautiful for our babies. So they created an educational laboratory for testing all the ideas they had. They founded a micro school. This year is our pilot program, so we're piloting a new school model. This model is not traditional, it's extremely radical. That's micro-school coordinator Jamila Collins in a documentary by Education NC about the forming of the micro-school. 
But we had a chance to kind of like open the container to think boldly about the, the many ways that we could pursue school for kids. It dramatically changed our way of being. We're like, wait a minute. A school can be like vastly different than what we know it? A school vastly different than what we know. This was the idea that caught my Jay's imagination. He remembers hearing about the school at the end of seventh grade at an assembly when Donnell visited and explained the idea. They basically told us about the micro school, told us what it was going to be and uh, how it was going to work. And yeah, they was basically explained that it was going to be something new and different. They wanted to try with the school and they wanted a group of kids to test it out. Anyone was invited to apply. So my Jay, a kid who lived just to get to the final bell so he could get on the basketball court, well, he did just that. I, I felt like it would be a better education move for me, and I felt like it would be better to go ahead and uh, get familiar with the campus. It started small and simple. 30 kids from 8th and 9th grade in a couple of rooms in the high school. Three teachers. And something a little different. Instead of a pack-to-the-gills schedule with tasks the grown-ups had decided the students should do, a focus on building choice into every component of the school, even how they started their day. Before we start affirmations, we'll have like a quiet space and a fun space. Like they'll give us like uh, do nouns before we do affirmations. So we come in, the front room would be if you wanted to be like um, a part of the group listening with each other. And the back room would be a quiet space where you want to just go and uh, get your mind right for school. Kids had a chance to kind of choose the way they want to settle their bodies for the day. Right, it's like do a little yoga. I might just want to listen to music. I just want to hang out with friends. So they get a mirror of like how they want to prepare themselves for the day. And that thing about putting love first, they are not kidding. They're not stingy with positive affirmations. Here's another clip from the Education NC documentary. Let's go ahead and um, verbally acknowledge some of those people that we see doing amazing things this week. I want to shout out Sabrina because she helped me overcome a fear of mine. I like to affirm Joe for being um, basically like a big brother to me. Okay, you may say this is all super sweet, but what about the schoolwork? Maybe you've heard of this thing called project-based learning. It's been around for decades with a lot of big proponents and wonderful anecdotal evidence. But this year, some really great research came out that suggests it is, in fact, better than traditional teaching. In a randomized control trial of over 3,500 students in five large urban districts, researchers from the University of Southern California found that students in AP classes that use project-based learning outperform students in traditional AP classes. And if the teachers who were using project-based learning had done it for a year, that is, they were in their second year, those kids outperformed students in regular AP classes by 10 percentage points, which is actually a lot. But North Edgecombe went beyond adding projects to an AP curriculum. Think project-based learning on steroids. How can kids help solve real problems and create new knowledge? And then we start doing these big, like, design for change-like projects where our students get to define 
just kind of the type, like what they're what they wanted their learning to be centered on. How do they solve big, bold um, challenges within their communities, their context, and then use the standards to drive that, like that learning? The work was just fun overall, and like it really wasn't like packets and work. Like we actually got hands-on help. We did projects a lot. In the documentary, you can see these kids actually feel something that a lot of teachers strive to make kids feel, ownership over their learning. We do lots of projects. One of my favorite projects that we have done so far was about violence. Getting the opportunity to like do projects that basically I like to do. The project that I'm working on now is to actually I'm creating a, a child's book about homelessness. MyJ remembers the time the students had to design, budget for, plan and build a roller coaster. They had gave us a budget. We had like uh, fake money, so we had a million dollars. They had like materials that we could use to uh, make a roller coaster of our own. So they put math, science together to make us build a roller coaster that well, not only we had a budget on, but we had to get the materials that we needed. Everything they did in the microschool was intentionally collaborative and hands-on, and led by students. Like most of the projects we had, they gave us options, or they just let us pick a project, and then they just went built around what we had came up with. That's one thing I liked about the microschool too, because they made they made it known that our opinion meant something, and they always wanted us to speak up when we felt something was wrong. The adults in the room relied on the students to give feedback, and then they actually listened to them, even when it was a failure, like the first project they did designing the space. It just didn't work. So we tried to use a human-centered design process to have kids create the space. It was terrible. Like the school, like the, the classroom was a disaster. Like we're paying on desk, we're taking things off. Kids were like, and kids were like, yo, it's a lot of work. I don't think we learned a whole lot. And the classroom was like, just messy. And day by day, they improved. Every night, the educators would think about what they'd learned and how to set up the next day. And gradually, they gathered more principles. Love first, there's no normal. Everyone owns everything rooted right here, um, designers and activism. And after testing out a student-led model in the micro school, the next step was to scale it up to the regular school. My name is Haley Gearhart, and I am currently a 10th grade English teacher. Haley had been a regular teacher at Weldon STEM High School about 40 minutes away in Weldon, North Carolina, and she knew what regular school felt like. Students who were half engaged, a constant stream of instructions and guidelines and assignments coming from her. She tried to be a teacher that incorporated choices, invited kids to make work their own, but there were limits. So when she heard about the microschool that would turn traditional learning on its head, she jumped at the chance. When we're trying to change all of these traditional modes of learning that students um, are kind of conditioned to be in, but change that up because it doesn't work for all students um, to learn in that traditional norm that has been set years ago um, and is not keeping up with the times. First, North Edgecombe added a dedicated block to the day for Design for Change projects, which Haley also teaches. And over the years, students took on complex collaborative projects that focused on their community. We did anything from 
how was COVID-19 affecting retirement homes in our Edgecombe community, to how has high school athletics changed given COVID restrictions, to why did um, Tarboro flood a couple years ago when we had a hurricane, and how can we eliminate that damage in future years if another flood would happen, um, to we ended the school year with a mental health focus on how can we talk about mental health, um, how do we encourage other people to talk about mental health in a high school setting. Haley says it wasn't that these projects were so kid-friendly or inherently fun. It was that students became engaged when they were making something meaningful. They have this ownership about it, and it might not be, you know, like a Nobel Peace Prize, what they are producing for us, but they were like, I created that, and there's an ownership in that. And during this strange class, without assignments, without tests, she saw her students grow designed for change because it wasn't that traditional model um, really allowed them to shine in ways that the traditional classroom setting did not. For many educators who are weary of drill and kill academics, this school may sound like a dream come true. But Haley says it wasn't always an easy sell. I heard the fear from colleagues as we are transitioning to this model is there is a fear of, of losing content knowledge by kind of changing the model of how we teach, where we're not just going standard by standard and hitting off those bullet points, but kind of leaving room for student-led, you know, inquiry-based learning where I might not sit here and go through, all right, let me go through all 74 figurative language devices that you, you know, need to know at some point in before you take this exam, but let me, let's interact with these five that are, you know, relating to this project. In fact, sometimes it was even a hard sell for the kids. Sometimes students don't know what to do with choice because they're so used to just being told, um, just being given this thing and do it and now give it back to me. So I think that is a frustration um, that comes with it is sometimes students just don't know um, what to do with all of the choices. The next challenge was to take the project-based, student-led learning honed in the microschool and in the Design for Change blocks and bring it into a more traditional curriculum. For Haley, this has meant rethinking how she teaches English. I try to make English as hands-on as possible, um, because traditionally you are sitting there reading a book um, and answering questions and finding out the answers that way. But with a lot of our students who are tactile learners um, and they like to have stuff in their hands and move around, trying to make us move with the words and the English um, and the books helps students kind of remember it more. Um, And so I like a lot of I call it controlled chaos of moving around and able to just kind of be ourselves, listen to music because music is poetry and um, incorporate all these different type of learning styles. This sounds fun, but there's a catch. Amidst the music and the movement, are kids ever really going to learn how to read complicated texts or write in a way that can help them when they grow up? Will it help them be remotely college ready? Haley says that despite all the innovation, they're still measuring the kids' academic progress in very traditional ways. We still have regular assessments throughout the school year. I mean, assessments are important. Um, As much as I personally hate teaching to the test, um, assessments are important to understand depth of knowledge, breadth of knowledge. It informs my teaching. If we did not do well as a class, then I did something wrong as a teacher when teaching that standard or hitting that skill. 
Now the school has entered a new stage of innovation, blending academic subjects together, like English and biology. You may have heard of schools blending humanities together, like English and social studies. But biology? That's an entirely different animal. How do you even start? That's the task Haley took on. First, she mapped the skills she had to teach and met with her co-teacher, the bio teacher. Then she sat down and read the biology standards. I went through and tried to um, find, like, what do students need to leave with by the end of this school year? What is the vocabulary, the skill sets that they need um, to feel successful leaving biology? And then my colleague, he did the same with the English standards. He went through, read them, and then we tried to find some similarities. We also know that at the end of the day, everyone's still going to be taking those SATs, those ACTs. Um, And so we're still building up those skills, um, but while still giving them this confidence in, I know the information, um, and we're going to show that the best that we can. The transformation of North Edgecombe is impressive. It's also still in process, so it's hard to predict the outcome. But under Donnell's leadership in the last three years, the academic growth has been nothing short of astronomical. We doubled overall proficiency in, in every state's uh, measurements. So we came out swinging, right? We went from like the last school in the district to like second. And so that right there builds like the, the energy, right? They've done what so few high schools dare to do, disrupt the norm. And although they have some outsized challenges, They've also got some advantages that make taking risks a little easier. They're small, they have support from the central office, they had consultants that they really loved. And even so, Donnell says, they're not special. This can happen in every school, in every classroom, for every child. You dig where you stand, with who you have and with what you have. These days, Mai Jay spends his time doing projects in Design for Change class, prepping for college applications, working in more traditional classes like math. Outside of class, he's on the basketball team and part of the Student Leadership Committee, which uses restorative practices to decide how to discipline students who get in trouble, which is a project all its own. Um, If a student gets in trouble or something, like, well, the ones that wasn't bad, bad, like they had a problem with a teacher or something, they would like send them to us and we can come up with a way to keep them from getting suspended because Mr. Candle wasn't too big on suspended students. He wanted to, like if it wasn't that bad, he wanted to keep you there. The moral of the story, trusting kids to do real meaningful work changes them. I think the micro school though, that really helped me out a lot because they are, changed my perspective of school, and I'm, I like school now, and uh, I want to actually be in class to learn, and not just so I can play sports. So that changed a lot for me. So this is a story of a school that changed, but inside that school is a story of one student, and many more who changed with it. My Jay went from being a rising eighth grader who sat through class in order to get to the basketball court to looking seriously at colleges. I wanted to go to ECU. That's one of my, that's my favorite college. And that's exactly the change that many high schools would like to take a chance on if they only knew that it could work. Like a Sponge is a production of Great Schools and was made by Jessica Yarmoski and me, Carol Lloyd. 
Our audio engineer is Christopher Ferreira. Editorial support from Jessica Kelman. Special thanks to Donnell Cannon, Haley Gearhart, North Edgecombe High School, Mai J. Johnson, Education NC, and PBL Works. We also want to thank Transcend Education and Springpoint Schools for giving us advice and connecting us to some really amazing educators. This season is made possible by a generous grant from the Barr Foundation. Also, this podcast is part of a project called Transforming High School with articles and videos and tools in English and Spanish for parents and educators. Check it out at greatschools.org slash transforminghighschool. And hey, I, I don't want to bore you with meaningless writing assignments, but know that it's not meaningless and it won't be graded. Make it your own. You know where I'm going, right? If you've got a moment to spare, we'd really appreciate a review wherever you get your podcasts or just tell a friend about it. That works too. See you next year. Bye.